You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Yes, everyone, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, I'm Matt Tebby, and I'm joined by co-founder of Gravity Leadership, Ben Sternke. Hello. Uh, ben, I was just thinking, actually, um, mm-hmm. when I said ladies and gentlemen, we were on a vacation last week. Yeah, I know. I remember. You remember that? And we had... Not uh, not us together. Your family was on vacation. Uh, not my ministry mate, nope. but my actual my... <coughs> life mate. <and laughs> right. I yeah. Went. Entire life mate. Yeah. Yeah. It, we went on a cruise <laughs> with my dad, and there was this cruise director uh, from Australia... And he was he was uh, sort of he's sort of the party party animal all week, and he's getting people to go to auctions and come to the martini tasting thing, and there's right. a limbo contest, you know all this stuff. Uh-huh. Anyway, he's from Australia, and so his name was Dave something, but everybody called him Dango Dave. Dango Dave. And he probably said, "Ladies and gentlemen," about seventy eight times a day, like like all the time. So it was kind of a joke. It's kind of a joke on our cruise that we just would call ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. But welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Um, We are. Hey, we're today. What we're doing today? What are we doing today? We're interviewing. That's right. We're interviewing the person standing next to me. Yep. uh, Becky. That's why she's here. Becky, say hello. Hi, everyone. Yeah, (laughs) Becky Dunn. Um, Becky is a friend of ours. She uh, comes to our church, the table. And we thought it'd be good to have a conversation today about taking our missional theology axioms and 
and narrating how they uh, how they impact and how they Im- integrate into a church culture. Right. right. How do they how do they become more than just uh, nice ideas that we think about God? Like how how does it affect kind of the practicalities of how you do church? Yes. And how does that impact people and what do people notice about it? Yes. So if yeah. you if you're if you're attempting to live personally as though God is always present and at work and that God is so real, he most fully meets you where you really are. Uh, that's one thing. If you're trying to create a community or a, create a culture where th- people live as though that's true, how would that, what would that look like? And I, I think it's not a, there's not a model, mm-hmm. but rather we narrate stories about what that looks like and we fund an imagination for it. So anyway, Becky, yes. we thought it'd be good just to uh, have a conversation with you because some of the some of the things that you've reflected to us about why you're at the table helped us realize, oh, Here's some of the things we're doing. So any anyway, all that mm-hmm. to say. Could you just introduce yourself? Yes. My name is <laughs> my name is Becky Dunn. Are you wanting me to go into my story of how I ended up at the table or Well, you're Becky Dunn and you're yes. you're an adult. I'm an adult. <laughs> yes. I'm 31 years old. Yes. Yeah. I live in Fishers, Indiana. Grew up in Indiana. I actually went to college out in Oklahoma. After college, I moved to South Dakota for six years. So three years ago, I moved back to Indiana and was in a part of a church in South Dakota that I really loved. I don't think any church is perfect, but I think they did a lot of things really well. Mm-hmm. Um, what did it was they, a great what did community. They do well? What did they do well? I think that they did, they did community well. They did th- that whole idea of meeting people where they are yeah. well. They did serving the community well. Um, they were a creative church. There, You would be sometimes have interpretive dancers doing, doing worship, or you'd have painting on the stage, and that really spoke wow. to me as a creative person. It was just, it was a community that I felt so at home in. These mm. people, not being near my family, these people became like family to me. And it was a transformative journey in my life being part of that, going through, serving in ministries there, going through discipleship there. Being in Indiana... Um, so you moved back here three years ago? Yes, I did. And have found that some of the practices that you guys talk about, especially in your DNA groups that you do at the table, which I haven't been in one yet, but it seems like some of the practices are the same things that I've done in discipleship at the church I was at in South Dakota. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to name uh, the artifacts and the cultures. You know, if we have... Hang on a second. This person doesn't realize I'm doing a podcast. They're calling me. Yeah. Um, how how would they know? It's it's <laughs> it's mostly their fault, right? It's right, right. Definitely how their fault. How dare they call me how, during a podcast? How dare they? Yeah. No, I think it's important to, to identify these cultural artifacts because I think we just we we intuit like there's a deep intuition of wow this is a safe community or um, I really benefit a, a lot from these people. Yes. Mm-hmm. But if we're ever going to take uh, locations competence and 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 let it be transformational competence we have to be able to name it and describe it right. and narrate it to pass it on without right. it becoming this one size fits all model yes right and like, for me i think one of the big parts of that was it seems that there are a lot of churches out there that once you accept jesus christ 
then you have hit the ultimate destination mm. and your life is just going to be great then. So good luck with it. Whereas <laughs> yeah, what's wrong that's, with that? Yeah. <laughs> that's just not the reality of life. And so mm. people need tools for spiritual disciplines and transformational things, which is something that I received at the church I was a part of in South Dakota and didn't come across moving back here until I became part of the table. Yeah. Hmm. Well, let's, let's talk about that then that transition. So you move back here three years ago. You have a yes. job. Mm-hmm, I do. Right? And you leave a community that you're really connected to, and you sort of plop yourself down to the 12th largest city in the country. Mm-hmm. And you have your mom and dad mm-hmm. and some friends. And- I, yeah, my parents live here. Right. Both of my siblings live here. I have nieces and nephews. I had one friend mm-hmm. that lived here. My best friend growing up, actually. Mm. Um, she moved to Alabama a week after I moved back here. Oh, nice. So I had one other friend that I had met in South Dakota and have formed other friendships since then. Sure. But it's a hard transition moving. It took me a good two years to feel like I had settled in to being yeah. in Indiana. Yeah. Yep. And you talked about, you, you described a little bit about how you were in a difficult, like relational, spiritual place. Can you unpack that or narrate that for us? Yes. Um, last fall, I had a couple things happen in my life that caused me to start to experience a lot of questions and doubts when it came to my faith. I was grieving mm. um, and a couple different losses in my life, actually. And it was something that I was had experienced before these feelings, but I'd also been in a different setting when I experienced them before. And I just realized that the setting I was currently in and the church I was currently in, I just could not do it in that season. I was in this place where I wasn't thinking about walking away from God, but I didn't know what to do with all of these emotions I was feeling and felt like there wasn't a space for that. I got to this point where I just couldn't see Jesus anymore. I just could not find him. And it had nothing to do with the church that I was at. It just had to do with me in that time and in that moment. And a friend of mine had heard about the table and we had talked about it at one point. And I grew up Wesleyan, never gone to liturgical church before. I'd been going to a non-denominational church last year and a half before coming to the table. So it was very different. But I texted a friend of mine and asked her, hey, do you want to go check out that Anglican church this weekend? (laughs) And we did. And it was the first Sunday of Lent. And I had never been in a church before that followed the church calendar where you're practicing the season of Lent for several weeks. And for me, there was something so healing about that. I came from a church that it felt like they lived in this perpetual state of Easter where everything is good all the time and praise Jesus all the time. And when you are in a dark place and experiencing the kind of questions and doubts and hurt I was experiencing, I didn't feel like there was room for those emotions in the place I had been before. And it wasn't anything anyone said. And I'm going to like, it was mostly me. I don't, Sure. I don't think that it was this church's fault in any way. That's just where I was at personally. So going through the season of Lent in community, declaring that we have doubts, that we have hurts, that we're going to lament things together. 
there was something about that experience that was so healing for me and just changed my faith during that time. And at some point in time, I don't, I don't know when it happened. It was, a, it was a slow thing. I remember that first Sunday, though, getting a glimpse of Jesus for the first time in a long time. Hmm. And hmm. that idea that Jesus is going to meet me exactly where I'm at, yeah. even in my despair and darkness and doubts and questions that he is still there. And I knew that in my head, but it was the first time in a while I actually had felt it in community with believers. Yeah. And I don't know when the change happened, but I know that at some point during that season and once Easter came, it was the first time in a long time I actually felt ready for Easter. I was excited and thought it was a cleansing thing to get all of these things out. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so beautiful to, for us to do that together in community and liturgical responses that it just it just changed me. Yeah. Hmm. There's so much there. Yeah. <laughs> It really Thank is. you for sharing that, Becky. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. Ben, I don't know if you heard this, but uh, she basically said that uh, Lent mm-hmm. is the new attractional. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Right? If you want to, you want to attract, uh, you know, people nowadays. Sell that bounce house and smoke machine. Yep. And yep. get a litany of lament yep. going. Yep. Buy some ashes from Sam Sun. And sackcloth. Mm-hmm. Sackcloth. <clears throat> Call people to a fast. I take, an, I take an athletic cut, athletic fit <laughs> for sack club. Yeah, uh, yeah, Becky. So here's here's there's a number of things I want to talk about. One of them is living in a perpetual state of Easter. Yes. You know, I was I was serving at a church uh, for a brief time, and I was kind of getting a sense of I'm not sure um, I can be here long time, long time, long term. And I was sort of praying through that. I was sitting in a very similar place you were, in the middle of our worship time. Now, this church called our their worship times celebrations. Mm-hmm. So every Sunday was a celebration. And I remember in staff meetings going like, well, what if what if we did other things besides celebrate? You know, and I was kind of looked at like, why would we ever do that? You know, this this uh, this is written on stone tablets. These are called celebrations. Mm. I, remember, I remember hearing the pastor finally sort of talking about depression. And he talked about how sometimes we get depressed and some people are clinically depressed and some and sometimes we go through seasons of sadness. And I'm like leaning on the edge of my seat, like listening like, oh, like he's speaking to me because at this time in my life, I was morose and moribund. I'm not sure if I was depressed, but I was definitely sad. Definitely those other two words yes. that start with <laughs> and, M. Right. Um, I don't think I've ever Mopey? used... Mopey? Yes, I was as moping. Well? moping. I'm trying to think of well, other you're, M words you're now. you're a four. That's kind of your comfortable space, uh, right? Oh, yeah. You... Don't, now we're talking Enneagram. You don't really see me, though, Becky. You don't really know. <laughs> Nobody really understands What it's like me. for me to be more of us. Well, I do go to foreign stress, so I may understand it more than most, because I feel like I spend a lot of my space yes. in the four space. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. my time there. That is good. All right. I, Just it's, it's a caveat. We're talking Enneagram. Sorry if we have <laughs> you don't alienated know about anybody it, you who doesn't know anything about it. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. And uh, this pastor said, and sometimes we get sad and depressed. And I'm leaning on the edge of my seat, like, okay, maybe he has something for me here, right? And and then he he pivoted immediately to, but we can't stay there. Like we just have to praise Jesus. Mm. And like people are cheering oh. and the band fires up a Chris Tomlin song, right? And I felt so deflated. Unseen. Uh, yeah. Like, like no one understands. Yeah, like no one understands, and I felt like what he was asking me to do, and I'm sure this isn't what his intention was, but the only way I could respond to it was use Jesus 
as an escape from your real life. Mm. You know, Karl Marx is famous for saying that, you know, his quote, religion is the opiate of the masses. Yes. And I felt like he was, the only way I knew how to respond to that was to use Jesus as this this opiate. Yeah. This, Num- this, exactly. As a numb, numbing agent mm-hmm. for the pain. Yeah. Yeah, to escape my sadness into some spiritual, emotional realm. Because if you have Jesus and trust him, all of those dark feelings will go away, obviously. <laughs> We're doing it wrong, Ben. No, yeah. so uh, what I hear you saying is that was your experience too. Yes, it was. It was. And there was something I had never, like I said before, I'd never been in a liturgical church before. Mm-hmm. Long term, at least, I had visited a couple. And so particularly in that season, there was something about showing up and being able to read these prayers and creeds and believe them mentally, but I didn't have to feel them to say them. Mm. I could speak it over myself and I mm. could agree with the things that were being said, even in the space where I wasn't feeling it. It didn't, I didn't prey on my emotions. Yeah. It didn't make me feel like I was being fake by doing this, yeah. which is how I have felt before in different services where I'm trying to pretend Things are okay, and right. I'm going to worship and raise my hands, yes. even when I feel like I'm slowly dying inside. Yeah. So the only way to participate, yeah, I'm hearing you say, the only way to participate is to sort of like display some sort of emotional kind of happiness. Yeah, or, and which makes you disconnect from where you're yes. at sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you found the freedom uh, in this other setting where there's no, I can participate without sort of trying to display some emotion. Exactly. All I need to do is speak these mm-hmm. words. All I need to do is come to this table. Mm-hmm. All I need to do is is pray these prayers that are given to me yes. that aren't, you know, uh, I don't have to come up with something. No. That sounds because good. when you're in it when you're in just, there are some seasons in life where prayers just won't come to you. You know, besides maybe the basic <laughs> totally. play, prayers of hell, thanks and wow, you know, you have yeah. you have minuscule words to pray, but yes. the the ability to receive words, to have things spoken over you, to have Mm -hmm. um, blessings spoken over you and benedictions spoken over you, and then to also, in unison in a community, to read psalms together and to to speak things out loud together in a community when you're not feeling it. Mm. I think that's so important because I wasn't doing that at home alone. Yeah. (laughs) There was no space for that for me at home alone because I wasn't feeling it. And so it gave me a new tool and a new practice to use mm. to be able to do this and to believe these things without having to sit in my chair in the mornings and think, I really what have no I words for you, God, yeah. because yes. I don't feel anything right now. So th- this is important. I think we're, we're not, so we didn't start this, I mean, we don't know where this conversation is going to go, but we're not, we're not intending this conversation to be an apologetic for why you need to have ancient church liturgy at your church. We have listeners who have low sure. church liturgies, high church liturgies, and, yeah. and everywhere in between. Yeah, yeah. But what, one of the things I want to point out that I've discovered too, Becky, and I hear in your story, is that often we have an aversion to saying written prayers or doing things that other people tell me to say because it feels inauthentic, because Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like my words. And if I'm going to meet God where I really am, then I can't read your words. But what you said is super important, and I've discovered it too, is that sometimes I need prayers. Yes. I need need to know how to pray. And if you give me a prayer, it gives words to the things in me that need to be worded. Absolutely. That I don't know how to. So So there can be a tyranny of, hey, just say this prayer. Which, by mm-hmm. the way, we do that when we sing worship songs. Like the lowest 
the lowest church liturgies. Right. Like we're still we're liturgy. Demanding people sing the, the lyrics on the screen. Right. They don't get to make up their own lyrics. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not very spontaneous. Right. Uh, but like it, it, there, it frees me from the tyranny of having to come up with how to lament. Yes. I don't know how to lament. Right. I suck at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, our culture is so bad at teaching it. We just, it's not just a church thing, it's a cultural thing as well that yes. we just don't go to those spaces. We don't know what to do with people who aren't happy and who are depressed and people who we'll give them drugs. Yes. Yeah. You medicate them. You <laughs> right. don't, you don't try to yeah. figure out what's going on and nothing against true, you know, need for medication. But anyway. No, but like we, we do we do treat sadness as a sickness. But yes. we do, yes, right. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. it's, something's wrong with you, right. and if you can't push through it quickly, then we need to be worried about you. Mm-hmm. And what I hear, so that's the second thing I'm hearing you talk about, is that like there's a process that grief needs. Yes. It needs to be honored. It does, it does. Yeah. And I think if you don't honor in the moment, it will force you to honor it later on. You have to honor grief at some point. You can either do it, when you're supposed to do it and when you should do it, I shouldn't say supposed to, but when you sh- if you <laughs> sure. do it in that season, yes. that's the healthiest thing to do. But if you push it off for too long, you're still going to deal with it. It'll just manifest in different ways. Yeah, truly. Yeah. What, why do you, th- so, uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting, you know, you mentioned the church uh, where it was always Easter, you know, the, the, the church where it's always about celebration and we can't stay sad for too long. We have to praise Jesus. Um, what do you think we're afraid of? What are we, like, why is it hard for us in our churches? And I feel this as a pastor, like, there's some, there's some insecurity I feel if I'm going to kind of lead somebody into or lead a church or a congregation into a time of prayer, for example, where we're going to express some hard things, some sad things, some disappointment, angry things, you know, some disappointment. Like, what do you think, why is it so hard for us? I think personally, I mean, I think one aspect of it is we're afraid. Some people are afraid if you go down that path of not coming back from it. Right. If you you venture down. One of the things that was really freeing to me that sometimes toward the beginning of this year, one of my friends told me that we were just talking about doubts and she was like, you should just wade into them. Mm -hmm. God's not too big for them. He's not going to disappear in you. Those doubts that you're experiencing, wade in. Yeah. And he'll meet you there. And I think so often we're afraid that if we start going that direction, we're going to end up as an atheist, mm. which I'm God sure forbid. I'm sure happens sometimes. Yeah, sure. But I also think there's there's an almost as hard of a thing that happens when you don't go into those spaces. You almost become an atheist anyway, but you're in religion an atheist. Oh, and this idea geez. that the God that you believe in yes, now right. is yes. so different than how yeah. God actually is yes. that you don't even believe in who right. the God of the Bible is anymore. Right. You're so, reading about this God that you don't actually interact with. Yes. And yeah. so I think that if you don't wade into those things with God present and aren't willing to go there, then you're not going to recognize God on the other side of it because mm-hmm. you're going to have, have so this such a distorted idea of him. Yeah. Yeah, as you disconnect from your own doubts, you end up disconnecting from God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because God is so real, he most fully meets us where we really are. And so any any distance we create in ourselves from ourselves, if that makes sense, is distance we create from God. Yes. As well. Um wow. Cuz God is most real inside of me. He's with me all the time whether sure. I see him 
or not. Right. Sure. So. And that sounds real mystical to us, I think, from a, you know, we have this Western Enlightenment naturalistic sort of bent to us. But this is, what you're saying is like Augustinian, Teresa yes. of Avila, John yes. Calvin, and they all testify that uh, I can't know myself apart from God, and I can't know God apart from myself. And so I think mm-hmm. there's a reactionary impulse in the church against this therapeutic, narcissistic, self-focused thing. Yeah. Um, right? Right. And Right, it can it's it can get really nasty, sure. right? But but I think um, there's a reason why th- therapy is such a huge industry in our culture. It's because yes. we've lived distanced mm-hmm. and disintegrated mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. so long from who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need yeah. basic training, kind of, to get back in touch with how we feel. Yeah, and because what we think, we're, you know, we're taught to just push it down. And I mean, and Jesus grieved in the Bible, but there's yes. something about that that we just are not we're not comfortable with these spaces and and not all churches are like this, but it seems like it's permeated through church culture, this Mm. idea that, um, and I think the other thing is that people are afraid of. And I, I mean, it's happened to me, this idea that if you, if you weigh down that road, that the God you knew beforehand may not be the same God that you know (laughs) after. (laughs) And so anytime I go through a hard season, I think it shows me a different aspect of God. I learn more. And yes, my faith has changed a lot in the last year, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's not that I'm pulling away from God. I may be pulling away from traditions I grew up with, Yeah. but God is still just as real and my faith is still just as important to me yeah. as it was before. Maybe, maybe the change, maybe what looks like a change to us is actually just a fuller revelation of who God is. Mm, Maybe we're seeing more clearly, Mm -hmm. right? Who God is. And if that's that that would be the case then if if grief was a crucible. Like if grief Mm. is a crucible inside of which we're formed and shaped, then uh it changes our it changes our lenses, but also our capacity our capacity increases or changes, develops on what we're capable of even seeing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's really good. Yeah. So so part of this which which uh, you know I'm just thinking of like Joseph spending all this time in a prison, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Is he capable of being the kind of leader and person he is if he's not forgotten about in a in a pit by his brothers in a prison by uh, you know jealous and envious um, servants? Like right. if he's not spending those seasons in the darkness in the pit, yeah. is he the per- you know it, is Jesus able to endure the cross for the joy set before him? Despising its shame, if he's not sweating blood and crying in the garden, mm-hmm. or spending forty days fasting in the wilderness, or spending, you know, I, I, I don't think he is, or crying right. over a friend's death, or or weeping yes. at a tomb, even yeah. though he, like, you know, he knows he's going to call life out of that tomb. Yes, mm-hmm. but even even when yes. Easter's coming, mm-hmm. Jesus chooses the the necessity, I would say, yeah, yeah. of sadness. Yeah, yes. and so that that's what um, I think it's when you say grief is a crucible, like. Uh, what that means is it's not a detour, right? The hard things we go through aren't like detours or like, oh, shoot, we're not there Setbacks. yet. Setbacks. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. They're part of the journey, yeah. And I think that is the whole point of the story of Joseph in Genesis, is that Joseph, you know, he has all these dreams and they all get fulfilled, right? But he's, his character is nowhere near ready to bear the responsibility that he needs to bear when he's 17 and bragging to his brothers about the awesome dreams he has and the isn't this a great coat I got? You know, like, I had this weird dream. Like, what do you guys think? What do you guys think it means? You're all bound down to me. Isn't that funny? You know? 
I, you know, I think I probably would have thrown him into a pit too, you know, if I was his brother. Um, so yeah, so it's a crucible, which means that as we go through it, we're shaped into the kind of people that we need to be who can actually see the God who is so real, he most fully meets us right where we really are. Yeah. And I think something that I'm coming to terms with about myself is somebody who I'm, I'm not saying I've experienced more grief than others, but I've had, I lost a cousin this past fall. I've had an aunt that passed away from cancer. I had an uncle that passed away. I lost a friend in a skiing accident in college. So mm-hmm. just in the last yeah. 10 years, I've lost four people who are close to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really shaped my faith yeah. and changed it. And I don't think that has to be a bad thing, but something that I'm coming in terms with is I've, felt guilty at different times for not being this like happy, clappy, everything is good Christian. Yeah. And honestly, with things I've gone through, I don't know how to be that person. And I no longer feel the pressure to be that person. So you stop feeling shame or guilt. Yes. That, that like that, this idea that things are going to work out and they're going to be okay. I have a lot of doubts. I have a hard time trusting God Mm. often. Yeah. But it's something that I still choose to do it all the time. And I've had to just accept the fact that that may just not be how God made me. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I've been trying to make myself this certain kind of Christian to fit this idea of what some of culture sets up you're supposed to behave. Yeah, like like a female Ned Flanders. Yes. And I'm sorry, but (laughs) I don't know how to do it. And I don't. Don't you want mean, to feel guilty about that when I feel like at this point that's yeah. just part of who I am yeah. Yeah. and part of my story. Yes. Yeah. I think that's really important. And if we're talking about like creating cultures, right, where, you know, God is so really most fully meets us really, really are, and he's always present and at work. I think uh, one of the things to guard against is the thing you're saying is where I'm sure you've never been to a church where in staff meeting, you know, the pastors and the staff were sitting around trying to devise ways of making people feel guilty for not being happy. <laughs> right? No, that's not we an intention. We don't try to do that. No. Right? That's not an intention. But if we're if we're not aware of of what's happening in our church, we can end up setting up an expectation that this is the ideal. Be a happy, clappy Christian. If you're sad, there's something wrong. Um, and I think it's really important for us as as leaders and as pastors, people who are trying to create cultures where people can meet God, right, where they really are, is to explicitly open space where people can be real with yeah. where they're really at. And, and there's no shame in that, that we're able to proclaim good news and just say, it's okay. It's okay for you to be there. It's okay for you to be where you're at. Yeah. And maybe you're listening and you, you're thinking, well, I am a happy person. You know, maybe right. maybe positivity is your superpower. You know, maybe you can't stop smiling, <laughs> right? Maybe you call strangers big shooter, and it just comes out at you. You know what I'm saying? And you do the guns? And you, you hey. give them double guns. Like, howdy, partner. Hey, yeah, howdy you partner. Know. And I, I'm, I'm joking right now, but maybe maybe you have, maybe maybe as we talk about sadness, there's a sense in which your perception of reality and your experience of reality is mostly positive, mm-hmm. and it's sunshines and yeah. roses and yeah. tulips. And like, that's great. Yeah. We like I need that person in my life. Right. Yes. I need legitimately joyful, happy people in yeah. my life. It's not that sadness is now the new ideal. <laughs> right? No. <laughs> like that's no. not what we're trying to say. But I also know <laughs> from having uh one of my best friends is one of those people. 
And we balance each other well mm. because mm. she pulls me into things that I maybe wouldn't normally do. Yeah. But I also pull her into spaces where she's willing to sit with emotions more <laughs> and we'll sit and talk about things. Yeah. For Enneagram people, she, yes, she is a seven. seven. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was thinking of sevens. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a great, it's a great uh, pull on both parts because we meet each other where we are in those spaces and there are times where we can have lots of fun, but there are also times when, you know, we need to dive in and talk about something deep mm -hmm. and she is learning to do that more. Yeah. Which is really hard for her. Yes. Yeah. Um, this brings up a question for me. I think part of the, the permission to be sad, like let's talk about mission. I, I think there's pressure. So the, one of the axioms is God cares about all of it more than us. And one of the work, one of the pieces of work that does is it frees us from the pressure of having to do things right or having to do things always excellent or the best we, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm thinking about mission. Like I, I've often, I have a lot of friends that don't identify as Christians and I spend a lot of time with them. And sometimes I feel this tyranny to have it all together with them. Because yeah. if I don't, if I'm sad or having a bad day, or if I'm feeling ashamed, or if I'm feeling angry, like somehow that that uh, besmirches the name of Jesus, right? And then the, and then I fail as a missionary. Right. So yeah. some of the some of, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, Becky. Have, is that something you thought about? I have thought about it a lot, and I actually I've experienced it myself before, but I've also thought about it a lot in church culture. Because I think it's an unwelcoming attitude for people who are coming into church because it creates this idea that we're all putting on this illusion that mm. everything is fine when it's not. So I think when people <laughs> coming in who, who aren't familiar with church or don't know Jesus, they came in and thinking everyone's perfect and it's good. Mm. And when we're not open and honest about our own brokenness, how on earth do we expect somebody else to walk in our doors and be honest about theirs? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like uh, you're saying they probably see through it anyway. If you're trying to, if you're trying to avoid, you know, being where you're at or, you know, that it, yeah, com it and comes even across. Even if they like, don't, I think it creates a lot of shame for them as well. And I, I do yeah. think the church right. is everybody getting, here is great. Except yes. Me. And I, I think the church is getting better about this in general. But when you look back over the last several years, that's a lot, you know, people walking in the door with long hair getting kicked out. I've heard stories about that. People sure. say, you don't belong here. You right. know, like you are wearing jeans and aren't wearing a suit. So you, this is not the church sure. for you. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that, I mean, which I want to think most churches now do not do that. Mm. But we do that in our own ways just by not admitting our own sins and brokenness yeah. Yeah. when we're not honest with where we are, when we're not honest about doubts and griefs. Because at some point, if you haven't experienced this already, newsflash, you will at some point. Mm -hmm. At some point in your life, that's going to happen to you. Mm. So if we can't be honest about it with each other in spaces that are safe, like a DNA group or mm -hmm. a small group or whatever that might be at your church, then when somebody walks into that space, they're not going to be honest with us with where they are either. Yes. Yeah, that's my hunch. My hunch is there's mountains and mountains and mountains of unprocessed grief and pain in, in everybody's life, including believers and unbelievers. And uh, one of the most missional things we can do in this cultural moment is help people navigate that. Yeah. Yes. Not with, not with more entertainment or more medication, 
yeah. or more platitudes, right, and pithy slogans, but with uh, sort of an embodied witness of here's here's how to finish and redeem and process your sadness. Yeah. Yeah, we'll that's link, my hunch. We'll link to in the show notes, link to an article uh, on our on our blog called "Lament as Mission." Um, some of the stuff that we're discovering, ministering where we're ministering here in America, and especially in the suburbs, where kind of it's all about affluence, image, and yeah, affluence and, and, and that kind of thing. Pleasantville, right? Yeah. yeah, where there there is an important aspect of mission that that you know consists in. Uh, Embodying lament, being able to do it well, but also then opening space for training and bringing other people into that. Saying, "I know, I know what to do with that sadness. Come, come with us. We, you know, we can, we can do it together. We can lament this. We can grieve together." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And even if I'm not sad, so here's here's one of the things too for like uh, you know just your experience, Becky. Like you came in looking for a community that you could give voice in and to your sadness, but there's probably many people there, even in Lent, who are like, oh, Lent, again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, you know. Gotta fast again. <clears throat> gotta fast again. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there is this, uh, you know, Jesus asks uh, Peter, James, and John to, to watch with him in the garden, mm-hmm. you know, and they fall asleep. Uh, we, we, we can serve each other by just being present and tending to others, pe- other people's sadness, even if we're not sad. Right. Yeah. Not and, and your sadness doesn't uh, cause me anxiety. I don't have to fix it. Mm-hmm. You don't need me to like solve it or to yeah. whatever. What just, you what you need is a good joke or a good time. Like <laughs> I can just be there with you. In yeah. It. The best thing you can do is have somebody sit with you in that space. Yeah. Why do we stink at that? Like, aren't we really bad at that? We are. It's, it's the same reason we don't know how to open space as, as leaders for it. I think there's so much anxiety bound up in yeah. it. We don't know. Something's wrong. I got to do something. Something's wrong. We like you we're afraid it. we're going to die. God's literally. not at work yet, so I got to fix this so God can be at work again. Well, and yeah. I, I might be part of the fear is like, what if you can't fix that person? Ugh. What if you can't fix the situation? Which right. you can't. You just can't. Right. Like it's all about showing up and yes. just being there. It always comes back to our, our addiction to control. Mm. Yeah, like yeah. we can't control sadness. It's mm-hmm. not in our. Ch- it's not in our charge. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, things that we can't control scare the junk out of us. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. we're reminded, again, you really aren't in control. Yeah. You don't know what will happen if you just sit with somebody <laughs> in their sadness. You don't know if they're going to come out of it. You don't know if, you'll if get, they're going to yell at you. If you'll get sad, maybe. Yeah. maybe if you'll get sad. Maybe. You'll, and it's not yeah. always gratifying to you. It's not always this thing of, oh, I did this, and I feel better about myself because I sat with this person. You may go home feeling sad as well. Right. And that's also a problem for us because... People don't like to feel sad. Nobody gets time for that. No, it's not a comfortable space to sit in. So their sadness might rub off on you. (laughs) Yes. Well, Becky, this has been awesome. Yeah. I I appreciate you so much. Uh, Your wisdom. There there are so many things you said we didn't have time to unpack. Mm. But appreciate you sharing your story. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate uh, you leading us with your tenacity to pursue God in the midst of your sadness. Yes. Um, it's bread for us, for Ben and I, and for hopefully for our listeners. Mm. Yep. Thanks a lot. So thanks You're for appreciate you being I here. I enjoyed being here. Yep. Until right. next time, friends. See you later. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you found it helpful, please let us know by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you review podcasts. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future episode. 
And join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful in our work as local pastors and practitioners of discipleship and mission. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.